right, folks. Well, let's get after it. Oh, come on. Well, is that, a, is that too soon? Come on. If, for those of you that don't know, by the way, let's get after it is the name of Chris Cuomo's radio show. Well, he was um on earlier and was saying, well, it's so, this is embarrassing. And, and I was wondering about it, you know, with uh, the suspension from CNN propaganda news. I was wondering if he would still be able to do his radio show. I mean, I I guess so. I guess that's going to uh, continue. Anyway, folks, welcome aboard. Wednesday night edition, Philip Ward show, 1,145 days left to go in the Biden administration. Now, we have a lot of news to get into. Oh, before I forget, this is just breaking right now. This comes from Fox News. Simone Sanders, a top Kamala Harris advisor, resigning. Yet another Kamala Harris advisor resigning amid signs of VP office disarray. Well, really? Because, well, Kamala Harris herself and, and I guess any of the staffers or anyone who works in the vice president's office, they really don't get along quite well with Joe Unity Biden and the White House um, office. So Simone Sanders, senior advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris and her chief spokesperson will depart at the end of the year. Uh, Simone uh, Sanders is the second top Harris uh, aide to announce her departure in less than a month. Uh, just two weeks ago, it emerged that Harris Communications Director Ashley Etienne had resigned. Um, they write Harris has been plagued by poor approval ratings. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would think so. Dick Cheney shot a guy in the face and was and was at thirty percent approval rating. Kamala Harris, not at least not that I know of, has shot anybody in the face and is down below Dick Cheney at twenty eight percent. Folks, that is dreadful. Um, the official said. 31-year-old Sanders will be working through the end of the year. Sanders will move to Washington, D.C. 2014, hired by progressive Bernie Sanders. Yada, 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 all this nonsense and stuff. Either way, the big idea here is that yet another one of Kamala Harris's staffers, and I would think Simone Sanders, one of her most trusted people, you know, she's the senior advisor, you know, I just, what's going on with Kamala Harris is what I want to know. And I, she, she's barely uh, been seen lately. She's not getting a whole lot of uh, publicity. And I wonder if that's, you know, I really wonder if that's a White House, you know, maybe the strategy to to maybe keep her out of the, the light a little bit, keep her in the dark and say, that, well, you know, obviously the American people don't like Kamala Harris. Well, well, me, Joe Unity Biden, uh, I don't really like her either. And he kind of backed himself into a corner when he said that he was going to, it's going to be a woman and it's going to be a woman of color. Well, I guess that only that narrows it down to Kamala Harris and uh, Elizabeth Warren. Focahontas, well, that was never going to happen. So it had to be Kamala Harris. Oh, he could have called, oh, he could have chosen Stacey Abrams, who, let me get it up, is in the news today because Stacey Abrams, and uh, I have the piece right here in front of me, 
How about this, folks? Stacey Abrams is going to, uh, well, they write launch 2022 bid for governor in Georgia. This is weird because I could have sworn Stacey Abrams was the governor in Georgia. I mean, she hasn't, she's still, by the way, back in 2018, when she swore that there was voter fraud, oh, they're, they're, the voter fraud's the reason that she's not the governor of Georgia. She still, to this day, still hasn't conceded that race. But now she said, now she's going to relaunch it. I'm running for governor because opportunity in our state shouldn't be determined by zip code. She says, background or access to power, uh, tweeting that out. Well, this is the same Stacey Abrams who remember Terry McAuliff in Virginia. Well, he I, he he got like uh, Joe Biden went there, Barack Hussein Obama went there, Harris went there, Stacey Abrams went there, and what happened to Terry McAuliffe's gubernatorial campaign? Oh yeah, that's right. It was Glenn Youngkin who ended up winning, and 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 Glenn Youngkin, and I give him a lot of credit too. You know, he was very smart and again i'm not you know it's not to say that i wasn't a big supporter of donald trump i think his policies were phenomenal i i i guess i can understand how some people don't really like his style don't like how he fights back how being a conservative i truly have no idea at all you know as former speaker of the house newt gingrich always says that this mainstream media they're not going to like you if you're a conservative, you're elected Republican, look out. They're coming at you heavily. But they, they're they always going to have this leftist spin about them. That, that That is never going to change. The mainstream media, all their buddies are Democrats. They absolutely hate Republicans. They go into interviews thinking that Republicans are automatically, the perception is that they are wrong. What they're advocating for is wrong, that they're racist and, you know, homophobic, uh, Islamophobic, xenophobic, any, you can even choose anything you want. And that's what those, those nasty, downright, no good Republicans are all about. I just, Hillary Clinton once said, you can throw any ism at him. I mean, even she knows that it's just talking points uh, at this point in time. Um, but you know, that Glenn Young, uh, as far as Trump and Youngkin goes, I thought maybe it was probably smart for Youngkin to maybe distance himself from Donald Trump a little bit. Well, remember, Virginia, though, was a state that Joe Unity Biden, we're going to get to right now, actually. Joe Biden won Virginia by 10 points. That flip by Youngkin is is momentous. It, it's an incredible achievement. And then, uh, obviously, we had the uh, New Jersey governor's race where Phil Murphy almost lost re-election. Jack Chitterella almost beating him. So, you know, if that, if, 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 last, if last month's um, election results were, were any indication of what we're going to see next November, if you're a Democrat, look out. I believe any Democrat at all is vulnerable. I really do especially given this current administration, Joe Unity Biden. Uh, anyway, so Biden claiming today, Biden was given his speech about supply chains and said that, well, well, every year something 
like this happens where kids aren't going to get the Christmas presents that they want. How about that? This it didn't happen for four years under Donald Trump. Biden claiming that uh, uh, you can remember back in the 80s, it was uh, Cabbage Patch Kids or Beanie Babies in the 90s. And I, Lord knows what, what kids want nowadays. I really, I, I couldn't even tell you. I don't even know if kids play with toys anymore. I think it's like the iPhone at this point in time. The iPhone, it has games. It has, it, I, I don't know if kids are going on social media or not. Uh, you know, it has the internet. I used to I tell you what, I used to love getting toys. Used to get, one of my favorite things ever was, was like, I was a huge um, WWE fan. Wrestle, I used to love the wrestling belts. Um, that, that, you know, Santa Claus would bring and, and, and my parents, you know, all that good stuff, folks. I used to love every part. I used to love playing with toys. I'm not sure if the, if, if kids nowadays even do that. I really don't know. Tell you what, they're definitely not playing with Cabbage Patch Kids and Beanie Babies. Joe, Joe, looking back to the 80s and 90s. Um, also says this, that, that, well, my plan, things, I'm, it, everything's working, says Joe Biden. You know, he's, he's combating price increases. Well, prices are rising at the fastest pace in 31 years. Obviously, that's not working, Joe. And then he adds the Build Back Better plan, which even he called the Congressional Budget Office the gold standard. Well, even they came out and said, and, and that's after he praised it many of times, many of different times. And then the Congressional Budget Office comes out and says, do you want to pass this? It's going to add $367 billion to the national debt. He doesn't care. And then, so Joe was asked today, you know, I say Joe was asked. He's not going to answer the question. Whatever happened, some, I don't know who it was. I don't think it was Peter Ducey. We'll get to Ducey in a sec here. Uh, someone asked, whatever happened to your promise to shut down the virus? Off he goes. There goes Joe Unity Biden. He don't take no questions. He, he, he can't do that. Um, at the White House press briefing today, we had an appearance from Dr. Fauci. How about that? Was asked this, quote, at what point does the booster become part of the mandate? Well, uh, I can't answer that right now. For the time being, the definition of fully vaccinated is two. Two shots, right? No booster. Now, I think, what about people that are, what about the unvaccinated? I mean, are they like three shots behind now? Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, you want to get, I think it's per se an unvaccinated person, right? Wanted to get the Pfizer, the Moderna, which, which again, these people preach over and over again. All you hear from Biden and Fauci, just like, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. I mean, I kind of believe that at this point in time, if people are still unvaccinated, they, they don't, for whatever reason, want the vaccine. You know, the, for the people that are vaccinated, I wonder how they're going to feel if you're not fully vaccinated unless you now get this booster shot. And then is, the, is it going to be six months? Every six months, you got to get another booster or you're not considered fully vaccinated? It's going to be every year you got to get a booster or you're still not fully vaccinated. 
you know, at some point in time, the talk about vaccinated versus unvaccinated, it's, it's just got to end. It all has to stop. You know, they just want to continue to divide this country. That's why I believe that November next year, if Republicans take the House, take the Senate, you know, they're, they're, they're marching on and they have strong momentum built for 2024 to get the White House. I think a lot of this stops. I really do believe that. Um, the reporter asked, do you see that changing? Fauci says it could change. Anytime Fauci says that something could change, you almost can guarantee that it's going to change. The writing to me kind of seems on the wall that you're not going to have that status of fully vaccinated unless you go and get the booster as well. Um, headline today, Fauci dodges question on illegal immigrants following same travel restrictions as Americans. So Dr. Anthony Fauci was asked by, of course, Fox News reporter Peter Ducey asked about illegal immigrants. Quote, this is from Ducey. You advised the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country. Does that include everybody? Ducey asks. He says, the answer is yes. Well, Ducey says, he says, well, what about illegals coming over the southern border? To which Fauci responds, that's a different issue. Now, this isn't the first time that Fauci has dodged questioning uh, questions like this. Because Fauci, now, of course, when asked to do illegal aliens, flooding over the southern border, coming into the United States illegally, again, these are illegal aliens, Fauci says, quote, that's a different issue. Also said that, uh, um, he explained that testing at the border under certain circumstances cited, uh, we still have Title 42, uh, but even Jen Psaki, you know, was saying, well, we're not testing illegals and they don't have to get the COVID vaccine because we don't foresee them being here for a long period of time. Well, I'm pretty sure that if they were going to put their lives on the line, come across the southern border, come into the country, that, yeah, they're probably planning on being here for an extended period of time. But Fauci, see... Fauci is such a partisan guy. And uh, Senator Rand Paul actually called him out on it today, calling him, quote, clearly a partisan. Um, but Fauci was asked, and I believe it was by Jim Jordan, congressman from Ohio, was asking about, he was asking about super spreader events and, you know, what constitutes a super spreader event? Uh, you know, should people be gathered in these spaces, even if it's outdoors? And what he was leading to was riots and the Black Lives Matter riots. We saw the chaos, the anarchy, the destruction on big American cities and streets all throughout last summer. But Fauci kept saying, quote, I don't want to, I can't, I don't want to opine on this, Mr. Joy. I believe he said that. And what he want, what he's basically saying is that, well, you know, this is, this is probably pretty bad. For the Democrats, I, I can't say anything that's going to hurt the Democrats. So you th don't think Fauci's a partisan hack. That's all he is, folks. Anytime he's going to say so. And he had no problem on Sunday taking on Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. Notice that he said, well, what happened on January 6th, Senator Cruz? You know, obviously a, 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 a political jab 
And that's all it was. Uh, Rand Paul also saying today, quote, he's somebody who's more for being a vaccines bureaucrat to now being out there in front of everything. But realize what he always defaults to is more rules, more regulation, and less of your liberty. He said he attacked Senator Cruz over his opinion on seating the electors uh, last January. Oh, this January, excuse me. Uh, he's a partisan, he says. Instead of waiting to find out whether this is a dangerous variant, he immediately wants to test everybody. He says, quote, the best thing to do is to find out how potent it is, make rational and reasonable decisions, not by government, but by individuals in America, talking with her doctors, making individual decisions. Now, Fauci was just on propaganda news, CNN. I don't know if he's doing a town hall or something like that. I do believe it was a town hall. And he was asked a question about people who are fully vaccinated, and then they get the booster, and do, do they still have to wear masks? And he literally is saying, well, if you're in an indoor gathering and you're unsure, you should still wear your mask. Folks, I, I'm telling you, I don't see any end in sight with these people in power. Why we continuously listen to Dr. Anthony Fauci, folks, it's just totally and completely beyond me. It really is. I have been listening to Fauci for a long time, and I'm not sure why anyone in this country would continue to do so. Um, we have now this again, this story has gone so underreported, it is so heartbreaking and sad. Let me give you this though, because today, Daryl Brooks, now remember, Daryl Brooks is the black supremacist, right? Who was saying, knock the white people out, knock them the F out, even the older white people. Knock them the F out. That's, folks, he kills six white people, six innocent white people. The guy is a black supremacist. He should be called for what he is. Well, he did an interview today. Daryl Brooks Jr. spent the last 10 days locked up in a Wisconsin jail cell after allegedly mowing through the barricades uh, and into uh, this Christmas parade in Waukesha, killing six people and injuring, folks, 62 people on top of killing six uh six people now he says he's feeling quote dehumanized daryl brooks said a in a brief video visit waukesha county jail i just i just feel like i'm a being monster this is what he said i just feel like i'm being monster that's his exact quote demonized he says not even his mother has dropped by. Earlier in the day, she released a statement on behalf of the family decrying Wisconsin's criminal justice system for failing her son. Well, her son's a longtime felon with a 50-page rap sheet. Not rap like the music. You know, he wanted to be a rapper, this Daryl Brooks guy. 50-page rap sheet detailing domestic violence, firearms, drugs, and other conviction, uh, convictions in Wisconsin. Brooks also registered child sex offender in nevada served time in georgia for beating his ex now folks you know about all of this stuff if you listen to this program because we've gone over all of this we've gone through daryl brooks's 
past history. The rest of the mainstream media, you can forget about that. You won't hear about this guy in MSDNC. Propaganda News, CNN, you can forget all about that. Doesn't fit their narrative. Now, still, Brooks says that he was very close to his mother. Uh, he hasn't spoken to any family since the parade attack, but they talked earlier that day, he said. Said he was no longer staying at the address listed in city records uh, as being his residence. Uh, Waukesha police have said they were responding to what they believe was a related report of a domestic incident nearby. Were not able to fully respond before being diverted early reports of the parade tragedy. Six victims. This is what I want to continue to talk about here. Because these are the people whose names we should remember. The six victims range in age from eight years old, eight, to 81. Been identified as Jackson Sparks, eight years old. Tamara Durand, 52 years old. Jane Coolidge, 52 years old. Leanna Owen, 71 years old. Virginia Sorensen, 79 years old. And William uh, William Hospital, 81 years old. Folks, all tragic, all preventable, all didn't have to happen. And this scumbag, Daryl Brooks, out there saying, well, I just feel dehumanized. Well, what about the people who are actually no longer humans, who are no longer living on this earth because of his act of terrorism? Folks, it's so incredibly sad. Um, Alec Baldwin is in the news today. Here's a ABC News exclusive. Alec, now this is the headline because uh, this uh, interview with George Stephanopoulos, who uh, you know is what we're supposed to believe is this bipartisan guy who used to work in the Clinton administration, LOL. Uh, but George Stephanopoulos interviewed Alec Baldwin. This interview is supposed to be releasing tomorrow, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time on ABC. I'll read this to you. Actor Alec Baldwin told ABC News, George Stephanopoulos, that he had no idea how a live bullet got onto the set of this film he was uh, filming called Rust, and that he did listen to this, he didn't pull the trigger. Quote, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull the trigger at them. Never, he said. He said, quote, someone put a live bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. How, I'm wondering though, how can you not pull the trigger? And yet the bullet came out of the gun and shot and killed, well, uh, shot the uh, director, uh, Joel uh, Souza, and then killed the film's cinematographer. That uh, uh, Helena Hutchins, and 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 that's the person that we should remember throughout all of this. Helena Hutchins, because she's the one who's dead here. She got struck in the chest by this bullet, died after being airlifted to a hospital. And Alec Baldwin, right, who is nothing short of a scumbag. He's always been a scumbag his entire career. I can't even stand watching any of his movies, not even Beetlejuice, but. He, he, it, 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 there's no accountability with this guy. Info, you know, you do. You think he's going to see jail time at all? I mean, pretty powerful guy, pretty powerful person. I, I highly doubt it. I really do. 
think there should be some accountability from Alec Baldwin at all, not just crying on ABC News. I mean, a woman's dead here. Didn't have to die at all. Gun safety 101. You, you, you never point loaded or unloaded a gun at somebody else. But that's exactly what Alec Baldwin did. Now he's saying, well, I, I, didn't pull, I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't pull the trigger. Well, someone had to. Someone had to have. Um, anyway. All right, folks. So today, and I want to get into this and really spend a lot of time breaking this down. Now, I think abortion is a very, very controversial, to say the least, topic in this country. The abortion debate, pro-life, pro-choice is, is just huge in this country. Now, let me give you the headline. The, the way that I try to approach something like this is, and you probably know my views on this, I'm a pro-life guy. I believe life is the greatest thing you can ever have. I believe every single day you should make the most of, of your life, every single second, of every single minute, of every single hour, of every single day. Anything you want to do, you should be able, you are, you're able to do it. Take advantage of the life that you have. It's, it, folks, it's the greatest thing. We don't know what happens after death. Regardless of your religious beliefs, we just, we truly don't know. And that, you know, I have faith. Of course I do. I have faith that there's uh, Jesus Christ, that if you're a good person, you go to heaven. That's just something I believe. Obviously, people are going to have different beliefs than I. That's just where I'm at. I try to be a good person every single day. I try to be honest. I'm always honest with you, the listening audience. But I, 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 that's just how I live my life. Other people live their lives differently. I, I believe that if you constantly make bad decisions and choices because i always have this fundamental belief that you always have choices and decisions to make and if you constantly make good decisions and you work hard well you're going to have a great life i really believe that if you constantly make bad decisions then you become a bad person it's just really as simple as that now headline supreme court hearing oral arguments obviously done now this was earlier today in case that could overturn landmark abortion ruling in roe v wade now what do you hear from leftists all the time oh and by the way they were all in front of the supreme court today there was like three women who were taking abortion pills for goodness sake i mean the leftists are so insane now the case they always make, rape and incest, right? Rape and incest, that, that's why there should be abortion because women who, who are raped, women who are victims of incest, they want to, you know, not have that baby. Let me point you to this. Guttmacher Institute did this poll, this research, not a poll, it's research. Just 1%, 1%, of women who obtain an abortion do so because they became pregnant through rape one percent less than 0 0.5 percent 0.5 percent do so because of incest folks uh i'll give you some uh other statistics behind it you know the uh people 
uh, well, I say people, if you're, if you're in the Democratic Party, um, obviously you call them people now, people who can get pregnant. Um, also in Guttmacher, uh, and this was uh, first published in tw uh, 2008, first sentence on the uh, thing, abortion and women of color, the bigger picture, they write, this much is true. In the United States, the abortion rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. So, you know, just folks, I just want to give you all the facts behind it all. Now, I'll give you the facts of the two cases as well. Obviously, Roe v. Wade set the precedent, then Planned Parenthood uh, v. Casey uh, came around as well. So, and, and, and folks, I'll tell you something too about leftists. I don't think a lot of the leftists in this country, and you notice, oh, you notice the people who are so gung-ho and pro-abortion are you, well, usually women, obviously, but they are the ugliest women you ever seen in your life. Just so beat ugly. Well, you don't have to worry about having an abortion or not. You're beat ugly. No, obviously, kidding, folks. Now, I think, though, a lot of those people and a lot of the weirdo leftist liberal protesters who are out, you know, trying to put political pressure on the Supreme Court justices, I don't even think they know that that the first per the first name of the of Roe is Jane. I don't even think they know Jane Roe. And I definitely don't think that they know Jane Roe isn't even a real person. Not even a real name. The woman's name is Norma McCorvey. Folks, I'm telling you now, leftists do not know that. Now, let me give you the facts of the case, the two cases that set the precedent before we get into it. Roe v. Wade. Here was the question. Does the Constitution recognize a woman's right to terminate her pregnancy by abortion? The court decided. Inherent in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment is a fundamental right to privacy. That right to privacy protects a pregnant woman's choice whether to have an abortion. However, this right is balanced against the government's interest in protecting women, in protecting women's health and protecting the potential, uh, potentiality, potentiality, obviously potential. Now, Phil, Philip doesn't pronounce some words right. You know that potentiality of human life now that was roe v wade that obviously was in 1973 planned parenthood v casey this was decided in 1992 the question here can a state require a uh, require women who want an abortion to obtain informed consent wait 24 hours if married notify their husbands and if minors obtain parental consent without violating their right to abortion as guaranteed by roe v wade the supreme court found again they reaffirmed wade uh, excuse me roe but it upheld most of the pennsylvania provisions for the first time the justices imposed a new standard to determine the validity of laws restricting abortion the new standard asks whether a state abortion regulation has the purpose or effect 
of imposing an undue burden. And if you're following any of the case, you're going to hear undue burden quite a bit. That's defined as a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion because the fetus attains viability. You hear a lot of viability as well. Can the, you know, can the baby survive, basically? Under this standard, the only provision to fail the undue burden test was the husband notification requirement. Um, so that's where we're at at this point in time. Also, by the way, I give you this is Culture of Life Foundation. Uh, gives you a better definition. What constitutes an undue burden on a woman's right to abortion? Well, the most significant abortion case, uh, and then this came back in um, 2015 when this case, uh, Whole Women's Health uh, v. Cole, came around. Uh, the undue, now, as far as the undue burden goes, uh, the case, uh, this case was an appeal case, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision upholding the constitutionality of a Texas abortion clinic regulation, which requires abortion clinics to meet basic medical standards for surgical centers. Uh, in June, by a slim 5-4 decision, Supreme Court issued a temporary stay on the law, barring its enforcement while it deliberates on the next course of action. Justice is info. This, it doesn't really have um, a whole lot to do with um, this case now. Just it, it, This was heard back in, uh, well, it started the process of it back in 2015. Now, an undue burden on a woman's right to abortion. In Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the Supreme Court, as I just said, reaffirmed the right to abortion established in Roe v. Wade. Also created a new standard for analyzing abortion. Casey ruled that an abortion law is invalid if it constitutes an undue burden. An undue burden exists and therefore provision of law is invalid if its purpose or effect is to place a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion before the fetus obtains uh, viability. So, those are, you're going to hear viability, you're going to hear undue burden scattered all throughout this case. Now, let me give you the facts behind all of that. Again, I won't interject, I'm not going to interject my opinion in here. Um, here's, that, here's how it reads. The scope of abortion in the U.S. is at stake. As uh, the Supreme Court hears oral arguments in Dobbs v. Jackson, Women's Health. Uh, what's happening? And this is, uh, I believe this is Fox News who writes this up. Yeah. So what's happening? Well, the state of Mississippi will be arguing, and again, they started the oral arguments today, that the Supreme Court should allow it and other states to ban abortion after 15 weeks. More specifically, it's asking the court to strike down a lower court's de decision blocking its 15-week abortion ban from taking effect. Passed in 2018, Mississippi's law encountered a legal challenge from Jackson Women's Health Organization, an abortion clinic that claims Mississippi's law is unconstitutional and should be permanently blocked because it violates previous court decisions on the issue. Now, folks, what conservatives want here? And again, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it's not, you're never going to get abortion banned in California, in New York, all these liberal states. It's never going to happen. Just, it, it, it won't happen. And if Roe v. Wade is overturned, all it does is basically say 
to the states, uh, giving the states more power than the federal government, big conservative philosophy there, that you get to decide on abortion in your own specific state. Again, it, it, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it's a huge victory for states' rights. Now, um, the Jackson Women's Health Organization, the abortion clinic, claims it's unconstitutional. Uh, it, it, uh, the Mississippi law claims uh, it should be permanently blocked because it violates previous court decisions. The court's nine justices are present. They've had the chance to uh, ask both sides about their reasoning. Mississippi, the state's solicitor general, Scott Stewart, arguing in favor of the law. The other side, uh, the attorney is Julie Reichelman, U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth uh, Pre-Logger. So what's at stake, they write? Well, Mississippi is asking the court to overturn the abortion precedent in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, two landmark cases that prevented state governments from banning abortions at certain, certain points during pregnancy. In doing so, it could radically alter the landscape of abortion access as many red states are prepared to quickly pass laws permitting further restricting access. Now, folks, I mean, sure. Can you believe those red states? They want to stop the killing of babies. Oh, how dare they? All right, there, I put my opinion in there. Several states, for example, have passed trigger laws designed to immediately restrict abortion once the Supreme Court overturns Roe. Meanwhile, blue, purple states expected to face renewed political opposition as they attempt to maintain less restrictive laws. Anti-abortion advocates see a victory in Dobbs just the beginning since it could return the issue to state-level battlefields. Whatever the outcome, it's unlikely either side of the debate will stop fighting for their cause. Uh, yeah, you think so? Decisions in either direction, however, would be huge blows to movements that have worked for decades to enact their agenda into law. Political fallout of an anti-abortion win could be explosive with Democrats already considering codifying Roe at the federal level and packing the courts now what are the main and by the way don't don't think that the democrats won't do this and as far as the uh liberals versus conservatives on the bench well right now six three i always say five and a half majority for the conservatives because uh justice uh chief justice roberts counts as half a liberal but the six three on paper conservative majority Folks, you think if the liberals had a 6-3 majority on the court, they'd already be voting on this. We wouldn't have to worry about this at all. It'd be done. So what are the main arguments? Roe and Casey are vital precedent. That's why we continue to go over them. Jackson Women's Health Organization has repeatedly underscored the longstanding precedents established by Roe and Casey. Mississippi's law, it argues, fails to pass Casey's requirement that state laws not impose an undue burden on access to abortions before viability. Upholding Mississippi's law would be inconsistent with stare decisis or the principle that courts let previous decisions stand. This is basically what it means. The very essence of those decisions, Roe and Casey, 
is the right of every individual to decide whether to continue a pre-viability pregnancy to terms, brief reads, also argues that there is no special justification for a different outcome. Mississippi does not meaningfully engage with the personal autonomy and bodily integrity interests that underpin constitutional protection for the right to decide whether to continue a pregnancy. By the way, we're hearing a lot of the um, Supreme Court Justices Breyer uh, and uh, Sotomayor specifically talking about uh, autonomy and uh, bodily integrity. States have an interest in protecting life and women's health. That's what the Mississippi brief, Mississippi, excuse me, brief argues that its law rationally furthers valid interest in protecting unborn life. By the way, as far you know, it's always people that are born who are who who don't care about the rights of the unborn, uh, unborn life, women's health, and the medical profession's integrity. Uh, the laws. 15-week limit comes in part from the state's contention that women face a greater risk of complications from abortions after 15 weeks. Also argues that scientific advances show that an unborn child has taken on the human form and features months before viability. The other side has argued that abortions are generally safe. And that permitting states to prohibit abortion before viability would harm the health of people who need to end a pregnancy. The only alternative to abortion is continued pregnancy and childbirth, which carries substantial risks. Uh, another argument, viability is a flawed standard. Court's decision will likely center on whether viability is an appropriate benchmark for limiting abortions. Mississippi is arguing that the court should instead rule that states can prohibit elective uh, abortions if they have a rational basis for doing so. Rational basis, relatively low standard for reviewing laws, but conservatives argue that the text of the Constitution provides no further protection for abortion. And folks, I tell you what, you can go through the Constitution all you want. Do what it says about abortion in there. Roe and Casey, they say, existing uh, essentially invented a non-existent right and cordoned off authority typically reserved for states. Roe and Casey are unprincipled decisions that have damaged the democratic process, poisoned our national discourse, plagued the law, and in doing so harmed this court, state's attorney argues. Now, here's what everybody wants to know. And again, folks, I think this is the um, responsible way to go about this, give you all the facts, give you all the um, uh, basis, the necess the meanings you need to know, you know, to basically form an opinion on the, on this uh, court case and, and and what the decision might be. So how the how might the justices rule? Well, there appears to be three primary avenues the justices could take in deciding Dobbs. They can one strike down Mississippi's law. Majority of justices could strike down the 15-week ban, holding that it violates long-standing precedent in Roe and Casey. In doing so, it would likely uphold the idea that states can't impose an undue burden on women's access to abortion prior to fetal viability. However, the court's more conservative composition, 6-3 since the addition of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, has prompted observers to downplay this possibility. They argue that the fact 
that the fact the court took such a direct challenge to Roe indicates a willingness to reshape precedent. Number two, they can overturn Roe and Casey. Some have expressed skepticism that more conservative justices like Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, John Roberts would agree to this option given the tense political atmosphere and divisive nature of the topic. Each has been associated with more modest, incremental decisions, a stark contrast with eliminating a nearly 50-year precedent. The court typically abides by stare decisis, a doctrine which defers to previous decisions, but has struck down precedent as it did with school segregation case Brown v. Board of Education roughly 50 years after Plessy v. Ferguson. Number three, they could create a new standard. The court could once again, as it did in Casey and Roe, issue more specific guidance for when states may restrict abortion. It's hard to predict, though, what this would look like. Um, I'll give you some of the uh, quotes from today. Chief Justice John Roberts, if you think that the issue is one of choice, that women should have a choice to terminate their pregnancy, that supposes that there is a point at which um, they've had the fair uh, uh, opportunity to choose. He says, well, why would 15 weeks be an inappropriate line? Viability, it seems to me, doesn't have anything to do with choice. But if it really is an issue about choice, why is 15 weeks not enough time? You have uh, Justice Kavanaugh talking about stare decisis here. History tells different story. I think it is sometimes assumed if you think about some of the most important cases in this court's history, there's a string of them where the cases overruled precedent. Said Brown v. Board outlawed separate but equal. Baker v. Carr, which set the stage for one person, one vote. West Coast Hotel, which recognized the state's authority to regulate business. Miranda v. Arizona, which required police to give warnings about the right to remain silent. Lawrence v. Texas said that the state may not prohibit same-sex conduct. Map v. Ohio, which held that uh, exclusionary uh, rule applies to state criminal prosecution. Uh, so folks, you know, I, I don't know which way the Supreme Court is going to rule. I just know that leftists are losing their minds. And I know that a lot of conservatives are very pro-life. And there's a lot of conservatives and Republicans out there who really, you know, say even, even some of them are pro-choice who say that it's a women's right to choose. But what I see, folks, what I don't want to see happening, though, because these are, you know, all the issues we talk about on this program, very consequential issues, and, 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 and they deserve to be debated. And, you know, they, 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 they deserve a lot of people to, really think about it and, and make up their own minds for themselves me personally again i've given you my take on it i'm a pro-life guy i don't know which way it's gonna go i mean do i think they should overturn roe v wade yeah absolutely i think it should be the state's rights the state's decisions on what they want to do when it comes to abortion but i really don't know where it's going to go um you know i'm not gonna predict anything but again i think the best way to cover you know, a big court case um, like this to give you, as I just did, all the facts, all the evidence behind um, all of it. And, let the, and we'll let the Supreme Court decide. But I'm telling you right now, if the liberals on the bench 
had a 6-3 majority. We wouldn't even have to hear arguments. You know, it's kind of like when, when Charles E. Schumer brings a vote in the Senate like that, and then Mitch McConnell allows all this time for debate. You know, the liberals, the Democrats are always playing to win. Republicans always want to, well, they want to do the right thing. You know, I, at some point, and I've seen a lot of this going around on the Twitter box as well, conservatives have to start playing to win as well. And folks, you know, there's no better opportunity next year, midterm elections, an election that Republicans dare not lose. And folks, I, it can't come soon enough. On this program, we'll continue to count down every single day. Now, our count is at 1,145 days left to go in the Biden regime, also known as America's long, long nightmare.